So happy Halloween, and uh, glad all of you guys can make it here. And in keeping with the theme of the holiday, <clears throat> today I'd like to talk about ghosts, specifically the Buddhist concept of the hungry ghost. So like hungry ghosts, uh, I'm not sure if people are uh, familiar with the concept, but uh, they're often depicted as like, you know, demon-like creatures. Uh, these are like creatures uh, who are afflicted with insatiable desire, hunger, or thirst. Um, I have um, some of the imagery that you'll see of them in this dog to be depicted with having like tiny, tiny mouths, like kind of like an opening uh, similar to like a, a, a pinhead, but then having like monstrous stomachs, like the stomach might be a mountain. And it's they really, really symbolize that here's a creature that can never be satiated. Right? And no matter how much they try, it's just not possible. And <clears throat> we can kind of think of hungry ghosts in multiple ways. Uh, in a lot of the early sutras, uh, hungry ghosts were presented as real phenomena. You know, so they were depicted as being just as real as me and you. A lot of the early sutras, uh, monks will actually be having conversations with the hungry ghosts. And in a moment, I'm going to share a sutra with everyone that does just that. Uh, another way to view these hungry ghosts is that they're really uh, it's like an allegory or a psychological state that a person can enter into. And this psychological state that we're in or, you know, is just extremely painful for us and other people around us. So a lot of this imagery is actually to kind of warn us, you know, this, these, these realms that we can enter into are quite painful. Some additional context, uh, in many Buddhist traditions, they talk about five or six realms of existence. So, um, I know if anybody has seen like the imagery where there's like, this giant wheel and there's this beautiful artwork within the wheel, it's usually six sections, and in the middle of the wheel, wheel uh, there's a couple of things going on. But the realm of the hungry ghost is one of these six realms. The other realms are the realms of the gods, demigods, humans, animals, hungry uh, ghosts, and hell realms. And just like how we can view that a hungry ghost, we can view these as concrete phenomena, but we can also view each of these as uh, psychological states. So for example, entry into a hot realm, a hot hell realm, is characterized by a deep seething anger. And you kind of feel like, you know, it's a kind of hellish state to be if you're just you know, filled with blind rage. You know, it's not a good place to be. And the one way I've been working with this is uh, I've been trying to notice how my mind moves through these states almost every day. You know, and I can honestly see, I think I probably migrate through if I'm watching them, you know, multiple times an hour. You know, I might be on a work call and people are like, this is great, you know, and I feel like I'm in a god realm. You know, like kind of invincible, and eventually that will fall, and there might be something else that happens. And I'll notice I'm just constantly moving through um, these six realms. And we can actually talk about 
this painting, um, you know, probably we talk about it for weeks, but uh, what I wanted to focus on is one section in there, which is the hungry ghosts. So what causes a person to become a hungry ghost? There are many factors. Uh, strong attachment, you know, I think is probably the primary cause, uh, yeah, which kind of can lead also to insatiability. That could be another one. I've been reading a translation of uh, some of the sutras around uh, the hungry ghost by Andy Rotman. And he proposes that a lot of the sutras are pointing to a particular behavior that causes us to enter into the realms of the hungry ghosts. And Rotman broadly defines this behavior as meanness. Yes. And the word he's translating is called matsarya. So I went and looked up the translation of this word, and it's often translated as stinginess and not being happy with one hat, well, what somebody has, and being extremely possessive of it. So you're not able to kind of share. And actually, um, it causes you great suffering to even not even like relinquish it, but to have other people have pleasure of it. So you might have like a beautiful lawn, right? And, and, and you might get mad that people are looking at it. Like, so it's just like real like um, tight grasping. And then uh, <clears throat> Buddha Gosa, who's a fifth century Indian Theravadan uh, philosopher, his definition is this. He says Matsurya has the characteristic of concealing one's property, either attained or about to be attained and not tolerating the sharing of one's property in common with others. As a function, it, it results in shrieking from sharing. And this, I think this is kind of a key thing. Uh, one's own pro property is the proximate cause. This should be regarded as a mental, uh, a mental ugliness. So there's a, <clears throat> this thing about having a lot of possessions and the way we interface and interact with these possessions that can lead to us being me. And, you know, I found myself thinking uh, quite a bit about, you know, just our kind of current climate that we're in where we have some of the most well-off individuals in the history of mankind extremely angry all the time and being extremely mean. And I'm thinking, like, oh, this seems like the Buddhists had a read on this, you know, in the second century, that this is possible. Like, possessions, not only do they may not relieve your suffering, you know, they may actually cause you to inflict suffering onto others. And so I think what they're getting at is that, so grasping on to what we have, and we're, not una and we're unable to share it with others. When this grasping becomes so strong that we actually become mean to other people. So when this grasping turns to meanness, this is when we enter the realm of the hungry ghosts. And I'm going to share uh, parts of the sutra with you to help illustrate this point. The sutra uh, is translated as, the translation is, a pot of shit. 
The sutra is from a collection of sutras called Avadanka Shatyaka. And that's translated as the 100 Glorious Deeds. So this is a collection of sutras that have, there's 100 sutras in them. Each of these 100 uh, sutras are broken into 10 chapters. And <clears throat> one chapter is about the Buddhist previous lives. You know, another chapter containing 10 stories is uh, the Buddha predicting, uh, or people predicting the future Buddha. And then one chapter has 10 stories about the hungry ghosts. So this is one of the stories. <coughs> one morning, the Venerable Madhyana got dressed, took his bowl and robe, and entered Rajayana for alms. So this is uh, an early uh, Buddhist monastic tradition. Uh, the monks would make alms for their daily food. So they would kind of stay outside of the city, and then they would go into the city and uh, buy the food. After wandering through Rajasthan for alms, he ate his meal. And after eating, he returned from his alms round and then put away his bowl and robe, washed his feet, and approached Vulture's, Vulture's Peak. Having approached, he made his way up Vulture's Peak and then sat down at the base of the tree for a midday rest. Then the venerable Madhulayana saw a hungry ghost who looked like a burned up tree stump, naked and totally covered with hair, with a mouth like an eye of a needle and a stomach like a mountain. She was ablaze, a light, a flame, a single fiery mass, a, pre uh, a pre pre <laughs> cremation. Tormented by thirst, she was wracked with sensations that were searing, piercing, agonizing, and acute. She was crying in pain. So they're really creating this image of this, you know, creature that's just in a lot of physical pain and a lot of like, mental pain. And um, there's also another piece in the sutra that I write down here, but they also uh, they're also eating feces, and even that is like difficult to acquire. So the Venerable Mokhiana you know, asked the hungry ghost, he said, what happened to you? Is there anything I can do? And the hungry ghost asked Mokhiana to go speak to the Buddha. And the Buddha could tell Mokhiana what had happened to her. So then Mokhiana, he goes to the Buddha and he asks, what happened to the hungry, and hungry ghost? And the Buddha responded with the following. Long ago, Mangliana, in the city of Varanasi, there was a solitary Buddha who had compassion for the poor and neglected uh, and neglected and who had compassion for the poor and who stayed in remote areas. Uh, a solitary Buddha is a Buddha that's attained enlightenment but doesn't teach verbally, and he would they would teach through their deeds and their actions. After being afflicted with an illness, he entered Varanasi for alms. The doctor had prescribed for him a diet of wholesome food. He approached the home of a merchant. The merchant saw him and asked, Noble one, do you have anything? Do you need anything? Homemade nutritious food, he said. Then the merchant instructed his daughter-in-law, Give wholesome food to the noble one. In his, his, his daughter-in-law arose beingness, much higher. 
she thought to herself, if I give him food today, he will just come back tomorrow. She retreated indoors, filled a, uh, filled a bowl of shit, then covered it with food, and proceeded to give it to the solitary Buddha. So, obviously, like it's kind of a horrible thing to do, right? And so, I think what the sutra is also getting at in here is that there's like an element of righteousness to this too, right? So you feel like you're being righteous and you're so right that you can go ahead and do something that's callous, you know, and that might have a lot of, uh, I guess, designed to inflict pain onto somebody else. So sutra continues, now the knowledge and insight of the disciples and solitary Buddha does not operate unless they focus their attention. So the solitary Buddha accepted the bowl, and only after accepting it did he realize how much it smelled. She must have filled it with extremes, he thought. Then that great being dumped out the bowl on the side and departed. And in kind of this culture, right, it's like he made an offering, and it was just the Buddha rejected it. And that's very rarely you see that happen. So there was a huge transgression here. Buddha continues, what do you think, Mabuyana? The blessed one the blessed one said, the merchant's daughter-in-law at that time and at that juncture is now a hungry ghost. She, she performed such a deed as a result ever since she, she is, has been born in the hell realms as a hungry ghost. Therefore, Mabuyana, work hard to rid yourself of meanness. That way, you won't develop the same faults as the hungry ghost. It is this Mugliana that you should learn and do. So I think, uh, as I was saying earlier, I think this sutra really focuses on the bitterness and the vindictiveness at play here. And I'm assuming, you know, she could have refused to offer the palms or alms, or just maybe not given the Buddha that had come up the most nutritious food. You know, she might have complained to him. She might have tried to be, tried to reason with him somehow, but that's not what she did. You know, she acted out of spite and cruelty. And there's something about being this state of mind that, for some reason, that's the best option, right? It feels like being mean to each, being mean to somebody else, and you're so wrapped up, and something's happened, you've been so injured maybe because of this attachment to whatever you may have, that there's a righteousness that comes in and the best thing, best option is to be mean to somebody. And I think the sutra is actually getting at, like, when we're in the state, you know, we are, like, not happy. You know, we are not in a good place. And we are, and we are, and we're pretty disruptive, disruptive to, like, the larger society around us. So I've been practicing with this specific sutra for the past few weeks, and uh, I found it's really been uh, you know, pushing me and moving me to kind of confront my own meanness and my own acharya. Particularly, I've been noticing um, uh, this is my acharya coming up in me when I'm with my girls. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And specifically, you know, we'll, we'll walk around the neighborhood a lot. And 
it's specifically like when I see homeless people. And it's just really interesting. I, uh, I get very defensive and very closed off. Um, I would say my thoughts are not the most generous. <laughs> I'm, you know, thinking, I'm like, well, why are you, what are you doing here? Why don't you go over there? You know, like, why are you in my way? Like, there's kids here. And there's a lot of righteousness and uh, negativity directed at these individuals. And, you know, I hadn't really noticed it until I was starting to practice with the sutra. And granted, I'm not overtly being mean to them, you know, but I am in my, like, approach and my posture toward them. You know, I'm, I'm ignoring them. I'm actually not responding to their cries. And, um, you know, when uh, Buddha Gosa says, you know, it's like, I find myself concealing my property, <laughs> either attained or about to be attained. I'm not, I'm not sharing. I'm not, I'm actually shrieking from sharing. I'm avoiding the whole situation. You know, a lot of times I'll actually walk around them and take the long way around. And, you know, starting to think about, you know, why that is, it's like, I've got this really strong attachment, you know, to my kids. You know, I'm a little worried about, like, maybe like 80% of it is I'm worried about their safety. You know, like, I like don't want to get close to somebody that I think might hurt them. But like, the other 20% is, I actually just don't want them to see that. You know, I want them to see, <laughs> I want them to see like, Rainbows and flowers, you know, like and that's not the most helpful, but I can tell them like, oh, I don't want my kids feeling uncomfortable around this person. And so I like shriek and I, you know, and I get like I get put into the state that um, I think could best be defined in my posture is very mean because I'm attached to these ideas in my kids. So you know what do you do about it? Um, so um, in these, uh, <clears throat> in this mandala, in each one of the like each one of the realms of existence, you have a scene of what's happening. So you have the scene of the hungry ghosts, big bellies, some of them are on fire. But in the same depiction, there's a Buddha that's up here, and the people who are moving toward the Buddha, you can see them like their afflictions going away. So there's like an antidote that's presented. And the antidote to Macharya is generosity and practicing generosity. So <clears throat> in two ways, one is like internally realizing, okay, I am being, I'm being constricted. So what I've been trying to do is actually structurally build um, a form of generosity into my day, into these situations. So my wife went and we got peanut packets and food so now I've been trying to walk around the neighborhood with an extra pack of peanuts. And when I see somebody, I've got peanuts that I can give them. I'm just trying to start to practice that and come over my own, my own kind of bullshit, right? And just be more generous. The other thing too is that they talk about is the other form that's not really, you know, these are presented as factual things too. There are hungry ghosts. And the way we need to approach them is also by generosity. If you see a hungry ghost, give them food. You know, be generous and be kind. So what I've been trying to do is in my daily routine, I've been trying to build up a practice of generosity, which I think has been lacking. Um, 
I think I've, uh, and then, you know, I'll see how this goes. And I think uh, in a couple of weeks when I get comfortable, I'd actually like to bring my kids into it and actually show them, um, you know, that they're fortunate and that we should work hard at trying to share what we have and not hold on too tightly to it.